It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. For those of you old enough to have experienced the joys of algebra, you may remember the all-important order of operations, parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, and then subtraction. You can have each of those mathematical functions down pat and still get the problem wrong if you don't do them in the order of priority. The same is true in the landscape of World War II, and the same is true in the Christian life. Hey, this is Eric, and this is the 53rd installment in my series entitled Spiritual Lessons from World War II. If you have been enjoying this unique approach to teaching spiritual truths through the use of history, then you may also want to check out my current Sunday sermon series entitled The Spiritual Biography of a Nation. And as the American monuments and past heroes of the Great Republic are being toppled and spray-painted, this series will help you both remember what God has done for this nation and inspire you to live robustly for the person of Jesus Christ. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to learn more. In World War II, there were so many critically important battle operations, but as it turned out, none proved as important as controlling the sea. When I woke up this morning, I actually didn't know what my message was going to be. I I got up at five this morning and spent some time praying. And it's interesting because my my burden very specifically in my life is oftentimes paralleling with what I'm studying in World War II. I know it sounds strange for those of you that are used to a, a pastor going through a book of the Bible as opposed to a time period of history. And yet, this has been an exercise of grace in my life to walk through this, uh, understanding that we are in a battle uh, in 2020, and to know and understand how to fight this battle, knowing the wiles of the evil one, but knowing the strategy of God. A very, very significant process to walk through for me. And though I've spent a lot of time in my life studying warfare and spiritual warfare and understanding how to deal with uh, the enemy's devices, for whatever reason, everything feels very fresh as I'm going through this, almost like, have I ever heard this before? And this particular uh, message is, what we could say, so elementary and so basic, and yet very, very profound for me this morning. I felt like it was a message for me. So I'm calling it Controlling the Waters, and it's basically uh, the Battle of the Pacific, which is uh, going to be uh, a very critical territory in World War II. In fact, as, you, as you're going to see what, I, what I'm going to describe today, it is the most critical theater. And that's sort of, sort of hard for us to swallow, actually, at first, because when you think of World War II, you're not going to think the Pacific is... I'm sorry, did I say the Pacific? Battle of the Atlantic. What, did I say the Battle of the Pacific? Yeah, okay, we're going to overwrite that. The Battle of the Atlantic is actually the most important battle theater in the war. And so that's what I'm going to unpack today. Winston Churchill is going to say, but between survival and victory, there are many stages. That line stood out to me uh, as a statement in my own soul of sometimes when we go through a very difficult season, which survival is a pretty good way of describing a difficult season in our life, where we're we're sinking. We, we feel like our boat got shot out from under us and we're holding onto a plank and we still have bombs dropping on us. It's a hard time to survive. Sharks are swimming underneath you. This is a difficult time. That's survival. 
And yet, when you get back in a boat and say someone comes along and picks you up, that doesn't mean the victory, the triumph is fully realized. And there's many stages between this transformation of survival into victory. And many of us are desiring it to be very quick. And yet, there's a need for perseverance in this process. And in World War II, you're going to see this. In the very beginning, Great Britain is hanging on by a thread. In 1940, if you were a betting person, America is betting that Great Britain is going down in weeks. France gives Great Britain three weeks before its neck will be wrung like a chicken. And so you see that even the great powers of the world do not believe Great Britain can, can stand alone. They're the only nation at the time that is standing against the German regime. And so if they go down, the world has gone down, basically. And everyone else is playing passive or has been taken. And so Great Britain's in survival mode. That's a good way of describing it. They're not advancing on Germany. They're not taking the shorelines of France. They're trying to survive. Now you go from 1940 all the way to 1945 when you have victory. And there's a long stretch with, as Winston Churchill would say, many stages. The same is true in our life where we are floundering in our soul to gain that super triumphant strength where we are more than conquerors is actually a process of sanctification. We are more than conquerors. Like there's a point in 1941 where Winston Churchill knows that they've won the war. He sees it, and that's actually the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Once America enters the war, Winston Churchill is convinced. He sleeps like a baby that night. He knows that they have victory. However, they're a long way from seeing that victory. And this is the way it is for us. Along this journey, there are going to be rough waters. But it's imperative that we catch the vision of where God has taken us and we persevere and hang on through that. <clears throat> Winston Churchill continues, he says, over two years of intense and bloody fighting lay before us all. So right now we're in spring of 1943, just to give you some, uh, some context in our timeline. There's still over two years of intense and bloody fighting that lays before uh, Great Britain, the Allies. Henceforward, however, the danger was not destruction, but stalemate. They knew at this point, there's a turning point at the, uh, the Battle of El Alamein, El Alamein in North Africa, where from that point, the Allies are going to win every battle, every single one. They don't know that yet. However, there's a shift of atmosphere. You feel it uh, amongst the Allies, where they feel like they have crested the hill and now they're going down instead of up. It's, it's something that we sense spiritually in our lives as well when we sort of break that, uh, that, the top of the hill or, or crest that peak. But what we oftentimes struggle with is it's not that we're going to be destroyed. Like most of us aren't afraid of going to hell. What we're afraid of is having too much darkness remain in our life while we're still here. It's a stalemate where we give up on fighting certain things and we accept certain breaches in our life as opposed to purging the enemy completely out of our own lives, out of our marriages, out of our families, out of the church, and then out of this world. In other words, we may know that we're not lost, but are we willing to fight to remove the stalemate in this world where we do not put up with the enemy anymore? So I'm going to get down to what I would say is the key of this message is defining the root battle. This is a very fascinating thing that I've observed in and through the process of World War II 
and I'm, I'm watching Winston Churchill chew on this. Now, I, I've spent, I don't know how many hours with Winston Churchill. He's become one of my close friends. Well, Nathan, what do you call your, uh, your buddies? Your snuggle buddies? I, I don't know, Winston Churchill is one of my snuggle buddies. I have spent a lot of time with, with uh, Sir Winston and getting to know Sir Winston's mind because in reading someone's memoirs, I mean, and when you're, I, I'm on page, I don't know what it is around, like when I'm studying this, it was around 1782, you know, page, uh, page 1782. And I've gone through this two or three times. Okay, so that's a lot of time spent with one guy in his memoirs on something like World War II. But out of all the people other than Roosevelt, who died before the end of World War II, you don't have such an up-close perspective on the intimate aspects of decision-making in a war cabinet like you do with Winston Churchill. I mean, this is a pretty amazing source uh, to go to. And what I'm going to see him doing is he's going to be struggling. In 1940, he's just trying to keep his head above water. And then in 1941, he's going to be strategizing, how do I do this without any help? He's standing alone, and then he's going to see at the end of 1941, he's going to see the entry of the Allied formation, because you're going to have the Germans attack on Soviet Russia, which is going to bring Russia in as one of the allies, which is not the ally you want. If you're going to pick your allies, that's a tough one to have. It's like me and Soviet Russia. Great. Thank you. However, you're also going to have, because of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, America. And it's going to form this, what's called the Grand Alliance. And yet then it's like, well, how do we use our strength? Because now Japan is going to be in the war. And now we're distracted. We're all over the place. We have the Pacific Theater. We have the uh, Eastern Front up in Russia. We have all of Europe. We have the Mediterranean in Northern Africa. We have the Atlantic. Ah, and I... I feel this in a strange way. I feel like what Winston Churchill is feeling, but it's like this little teensy-weensy version of it. I feel embarrassed even trying to act like I understand Winston Churchill's struggles. But I do in a smaller way. And I think all of us do in a smaller way. When you step forward to lead, you recognize that you're hit back. Spiritually, there is resistance against forward movement in this world. And one of the devil's tactics is what we could call busyness. He, lo- he specializes. Uh, what was the quote, uh, Nathan, that Corey Ten Boom said? If you can't get the Christian to sin, get him busy. And yeah, sort of like that. And so to distract us with what we could call a thousand theaters. And so it's like, where do I put my emphasis? And so you're going to see Winston Churchill refining and figuring out where he is supposed to invest his energies and to not be distracted in it. Solomon is going to say in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's one of the coolest statements. I'm going to to just read that last phrase. For this is man's all. All. Now, what if we invert that scripture and I start with, hey guys, do you want to know what man's all is? And then I bait you and I pause for a long period of time and you all lean in. I go, oh, I'm just holding. I'm about to say it, but not yet. I just want you to ponder. Are you interested in hearing what man's all is? In other words, this is a center point. Why is man here? 
So Ecclesiastes is baking something down, which I think to our New Testament understanding gets a little foggy. Like, how am I supposed to apply that? Fear God and keep his commandments. We know the great commandment is love, right? So fear God and love. You know, if you were going to just really simplify it for us, and yet that's almost too simple where we miss it. We're like, okay, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Eric. I get it in one direction, but I don't know how to apply that. How do I live that? It's a similar challenge that uh, they're facing in World War II. So the decision in 1942, Roosevelt and Churchill are trying to land this. Roosevelt has a bait. See, he's over the United States of America. And the United States of America has a vulnerability at its very shorelines with Japan, who is controlling the Pacific and who is making their way towards Pearl Harbor again and then ultimately the West Coast. And so you can understand if you're Roosevelt that your primary object would be to stop Japan. However, Roosevelt is going to rise above his tendency to be baited by this distraction in the Pacific, and he's going to realize actually the chief enemy that he has is Germany. And if Germany goes down, Japan will follow. Japan only has confidence because Germany's doing what they're doing. So if we take out Germany, Japan will follow. This is actually the reasoning of the Allies, which is going to be their secret sauce for World War II, is that Roosevelt is not going to be distracted by the obvious uh, enemy that he has right nearby, and he's going to say, actually, that's not my chief enemy. That is. And he is going to fight the correct battle. I mean, it is actually profound when you think about that, because very few of us would have been able to see that as clearly. So in, this is in 1942. They're going to define the primary enemy is Nazi Germany. So you're going to see, of course, Stalin didn't argue that at all because he's being attacked by Nazi Germany in, on the Eastern Front in Russia. But Churchill has seen this all along. The chief enemy, the chief foe is Hitler. If you take out Hitler, Italy and Japan fall. So really the Axis powers melt away if you deal with the root. So bring down Hitler, Japan will follow. Now you'll notice that I didn't stick Italy in there. And that's because... Italy isn't the force to be reckoned with. Italy only has power because they're standing with Hitler. And so that goes with the show. It's like Hitler and Mussolini, yeah, they're together. But then Japan is the huge distraction. Japan will follow. Let's deal with Hitler. That's a huge issue for the United States. That's in 42. Now, here we are in 43. The primary theater is the Atlantic. So, okay, we're going to take out Hitler. Where do we fight him? This is, this is a hard one because you have limited resource. You need to choose where you're going to be. You have to choose where you're going to invest your money, where you're going to invest your manufacturing. You're going to build tanks. You're going to build ships. What are you going to build? This is like a game. Axes and allies are risk. It's like, what are you investing in? You have, to, you, you have limited resource. You have limited manpower. Where are you putting it? This is challenging even for me in looking at the war, even understanding the war as well as I do, it's funny to actually be brought to the conclusion that the chief battle and the chief theater is not Europe. Well, that's where Hitler is. Of course it's Europe. Yeah, it's not Europe. You know why? Because you can't attack the shorelines of Europe unless you control the sea. Because you need an amphibious attack. That means through the water to land. Sort of like the, uh, the amphibians, you know, that start in the water and make their way onto land. Yeah, that's an amphibious attack. So the only way to get France, for instance, is to hit it on the shoreline. 
if you're going to hit it on the shoreline, you have to control the water. To control the water, you need to deal with the Germans in the water. So as a result, you're going to see them getting down to the root issue in the battle. They're going to go from, okay, is it Japan or is it Germany? All right, it's Germany. All right, now is it Germany on the land or by sea? By sea. And you're going to see this decision-making process, which I'm, I'm baiting you here, to set you up to realize this is the same process we need to go through in our life. When we're fighting the wrong battles and we're being distracted, we're actually not going to win the war. We're going to only continue a stalemate with the enemy. He can't take us down. We're Christians. We're in Christ. However, we're not taking him down either because we're not fighting him at the battlefront that God has assigned us to fight him. So the primary theater is the Atlantic. Control the sea and the great hindrance to success is removed. You're actually going to see this is how World War II is going to unfold. You're going to see them switch their attack. It's not that they're not going to continue to fight Japan here, fight on the land. It's not that they're not doing that. It's that they're shifting their emphasis and their priority to the sea to say we have to take out the German U-boats, okay, which we know as submarines. But they, they, had a, or they would cluster in wolf packs is what they call them. Doesn't that just sound menacing in and of itself, wolf packs? And they even... Like there was a, a trailer for uh, a, a movie with Tom Hanks in it. I haven't seen it, but it was, it's about the, the wolf packs. It's, it's basically what it's about. And so Tom Hanks is some kind of admiral, captain, you know, leading a ship across the Atlantic and the U-boats come out. And even when they were coming out of the water, they're making a noise in the movies like, Nyeh! and it was scary. It's free. And that's exactly what these guys were. They were underwater. They're like an unseen enemy. Does that uh, sound like I'm continuing to lead you in a direction of understanding something. You see, this is an unseen battle. For most of us, we don't see the battle in the Atlantic. Most soldiers, most people, there's no pictures the same way that you can get at a normal war. You can't have the typical war correspondent hanging out there. It is not the most normal communication. To understand this battle is obscure. So our need in 2020, we need to identify our own primary battles. What are our primary battles? That's what they're going through in World War II. What are our primary battles? So one of the things that has been a, a constant point of counseling for me when I'm dealing with men specifically, I'll talk about first things. It's, it's, it's been an ongoing discussion point with me and men for years. And that is they oftentimes have a challenge. Like say it's a breakdown in their marriage. Okay, or let's say it's a, uh, say they have an addiction to pornography, or let's say that they have uh, a problem with keeping a job. Okay, whatever it is. It's like, well, let's talk about first things. You see, you need to get to the root of the battle. The reason you have a problem in your marriage isn't just because your marriage has problems and your, your wife is a problem. It's oftentimes because of something deeper. And what we need to do is hit that. If we address that, it actually creates a domino effect which actually solves other things. But when you just try and solve this other thing without dealing with the root issue, you actually create a stalemate and you don't go anywhere uh, in the process. And so like for instance, I, I will oftentimes describe my first things because I know my first things. Most people don't know their first things and as a result, they're taken off guard by their first things and end up with second, third, and fourth results. So, for me, I notice as one of the first signals or signs that 
something is off in my soul or that I have an open, like in the middle of the winter, if I have an open window or an open door, what do I feel? A draft. And so when you start to recognize drafts in your soul, what do you do? You should close the door or close the window. Those are first things. If you don't deal with it, now you have greater problems. If you allow your windows to stay open all, all winter long uh, and you crank up your heat to try and compensate for it, what do you have? You have issues financially. Why? Because your heating bill is going to be off the charts, right? It's going to be in the thousands. And so you have financial problems. I'm going to say, well, let's go with first things. Your window's open. <laughs> They're like, well, I thought it was the energy company. The energy company is overbilling me. No, your window is open. You see, when you try and deal with the secondary things, you go in and you pick it outside the energy company because their rates are so high, you're actually missing the real problem, which is in you. You have left a window open. You felt the draft, but you ignored the draft. You see, we all have a draft, and we'll feel it if we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. The word in Scripture for it actually is going to be translated as temperance. Now, that's an older translation. Self-control could be another way of describing it, but the reason temperance is a fascinating description because it's a hard word to define is it's like temperate, which means if you get too hot, you notice it. If you get too cold, you notice it. I notice that when our house, especially when it's 100 degrees out like it has been lately, when I get in, if we don't turn on our AC unit and close the windows early enough in the day, we start to get the suffocating heat inside. And when it gets to 77 or above, now some of you are like, oh, that uh, feels great, it's 77 in the house. For me, I start to feel it very specifically. I could almost say, uh-oh, it must be 77. Because right at that point, 76, I don't feel it. 77, oh, and I start to feel an oppression, a weight of heat upon my body. It's, it's a weird thing. I don't know uh, if every one of us has a different point where that happens. But it's a signal to me that, uh-oh, we have a problem. Uh, does the AC on? Do we have windows open? I'll start to notice these things. We all have that, and that's what temperance is. Temperance is a signal to say something's off. And so for me, my first signal in my soul that something's off is I start to be short-fused. Things start irritating me that shouldn't. This is a signal to me that I have an open window. Now that open window could come in through various things. Like for instance, when I read the news. That can be an open window for me. I'm not saying that there's a moral quantity or quality to the news. I'm saying that for me, I know when God is saying, let's let that go, Eric. I want you to focus on this, not that. But the intrigue is so great that I have to at least look and see what's happening. And when I do, it's like opening a window. And so for me, I have things that I know in my own soul are primary issues, and I need to address them. And if I address those things properly, it actually creates a domino effect of success in my life. So the C is going to be a primary issue. It's like, hey, we have a problem here. Most of their supply that is supposed to be getting to Great Britain, military supply, food, all sorts of things, clothes, there's tons of things that are being shipped in from America to Great Britain. Great Britain's a little island. It has all sorts of colonies around the world and it has America to help supply for it, but guess what? If no ship can get there, they're not getting anything. And so millions of tons, or I should say, I think it is millions, no, it's, it might be thousands of tons. I, I need to correct my number there. Maybe it's even hundreds of thousands of tons. I, need to get, I have the number on the screen in the upcoming slides. Have been sunk over the past years. 
And so they can complain all day long about uh, the fact that they don't have this food, they don't have these military, they don't have bullets for their guns. They have the guns, but they don't have the bullets. I mean, this is not good. But the problem is actually in their shipping, but their shipping's problem is in the fact that there's U-boats that keep sinking them. So what do we need to do? We need to get down to the U-boats and address those. So I'm gonna call the C the unseen battle. The battle out of view, the battle beneath the surface, the battle of the unseen enemy. We face battles in our life that we don't oftentimes recognize. And that's like the sea. It's like the Battle of the Atlantic. Most of us, when we study World War II, skip over the Battle of the Atlantic and go straight to Europe and try and figure it out. That's the same tendency that Winston Churchill would have and Roosevelt would have. It's like, this is where our enemy is. Let's hit him. We need to get our troops over there. Yeah, but we can't get our troops over there. We're losing them in the ocean. So we need to get down to the root here and address it. You see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual powers. There's a, a root right there. So we need to recognize that there's an unseen dimension to what we're dealing with. And oftentimes, it's not just the physical relationships or our financial bank accounts. It's our physical health. It's all the things that we can interact with. Sometimes it's deeper. And it's an unseen battle. It's a battle of an Atlantic that God wants to address so that he can address those other issues. He wants to deal with Hitler on land. That needs to be dealt with. But to deal with it, we need to deal with the sea. We need to deal with that which is unseen and beneath the surface. I mean, those U-boats, and they make that noise. When they come out, I'm sure it was true. Uh, <clears throat> let me give you another definition of the sea. That which ought not to be overlooked and forsaken. It's not as obviously important, but unless you win it, you will face the forever stalemate. So many of us have things in our life that we have fought and we have attempted to fix, but they remain. The tendency is to just finally say, hey, look, okay, we're going to lose, I wish I had the number, like 300,000 tons of goods every year. We'll just accept that moving forward. Or you say, we're gonna fight the Battle of the Atlantic. We're gonna take this U-boat strength down. And that's where you see me. When I say that this is a message for me, there has been so much that has hit our ministry over the years, that has tried to hit my family. It's like I have an extraordinary amount of attack in my life, and I understand why. Okay, I, you could say, well, Eric, you're dumb enough to stick your head out of the foxhole and start yelling at the enemy out loud. Say, hey, my name's Eric Ludy. My address is such and such. Please come and visit me. <laughs> and so I recognize why. However, I also want to recognize afresh the fact that I need to hit this hard. And I need to address it the same way Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt are going to address the Battle of the Atlantic. No more. We are not going to put up with this anymore. So Winston Churchill says, the long haul round the Cape cost us so dear in time, effort, and tonnage. An average of 45 days for each convoy to the Middle East. I took this out. This is actually a quote, and you'll notice I put dot, dot, dots between it, because this is him referencing after they're going to win the Battle of the Atlantic, okay? And he's going to say, boy, you know how much easier our life is? However, the reason I'm sharing it this way is I want you to recognize this is sort of where we're at. There are certain things that we're having to do the hard way because the enemy is creating resistance and hindrance to everything we're doing. 
For them, if they wanted to get supplies to the Middle East, you know what they had to do? They had to go around the Cape, around the tip of Africa and up. Took 45 more days to do it. And it was a tremendous expenditure of time, energy, and tonnage, as they say. And, you know, so I'm noticing those three things. I'm just going to bring them onto the screen. The strategic drain, time, effort, and tonnage. There are certain things that are so difficult for in my life to do that shouldn't be that difficult. It's like an uphill battle every time I try and do it. And I've recognized that over the years, but it's like going around the Cape. It's like, okay, I accept it after a while because I'm at war. Instead of saying, what if we win the Battle of the Atlantic? We can cut straight across the Mediterranean if we own the sea. <laughs> I, could, we just, I mean, that's going to save us 45 days. That's going to save us extraordinary, important time and energy, and it's going to get that tonnage, that resource, straight to its location quicker, and as a result, our flows of resource are going to be far more effective. Now, I know uh, Sandy is here, so she understands how much the ministry of Ellerslie deals with these very things and how many times we've had to go around the, the Cape uh, to accomplish simple things that the organization down here, which doesn't espouse Christ and just does what they do, don't have to go through because they don't have spiritual resistance. They don't have U-boats trying to take out their tonnage and to sink the work that they're doing. And as a result, you can sort of start to complain after a while as a Christian. It's like, God, God, why? He's like, just read my scripture. You'll know exactly why. I already prepared you for this. Do not consider it strange, my dear brother Eric, when you face trials of many kinds and when the enemy U-boats try and sink your ships. Why is this shocking to you? Take them out. In other words, you've been given weapons of warfare to take out U-boat uh, wolf packs. Leverage it. Use it. But in battle, you have to focus and harness your time and your strength. You have to know where to put it. Most of us know it's important to pray, but many of us fail to do it with laser-like precision. In other words, we shoot off missiles here and there, but are we hitting the U-boats with it? Do we recognize that we need to choose our battles wisely? So I'm going to give you a very specific story. I've taught on this story many times, uh, but it's the story of Mary and Martha which is interesting because it doesn't feel like war at all. When you go from World War II, the Battle of the Atlantic, U-boats making that sound coming out of the water, and then we're going to go to Mary and Martha. It's like, you know, putting on the brakes uh, really fast. And yet, it's the same principle. It's a principle of priority, of where we put our priority is essential, and Jesus is actually teaching this very principle in this story. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, speaking of Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Lord, Lord, can we not deal with Hitler on the land? Can we not deal with the Japanese in the Pacific? Martha, Martha, <laughs> there is a battle over here that if you fight it correctly, we'll solve this and that. You see, Mary has chosen the good part, 
There is one thing that matters. You need to know what that is. And when you deal with the primary, the secondary, tertiary, things begin to fall into place. And many of us are fighting battles for secondary and third level things, not realizing that God wants to address soul level issues, see issues in our life. So choosing the one thing needed, the important instead of the urgent. You guys remember that little, uh, it was like a pamphlet or a little, what do you call those, little booklets? Yeah, booklets. It was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to that. I haven't seen that thing for years, but it's profound. And it fits this same theme where you can fight the wrong battle very easily. You can just say, we're going to pick a fight with Italy. That's our battle. We're going to pick a fight with Japan in the Pacific. We're going to go straight into Berlin and bomb it. That's our secret. You know how many uh, times they tried to plant bombs or something and kill Hitler? And the guy just keeps living, right? It's like, fight it the right way. We will deal with Hitler. Hitler will be dealt with. But we need to heed the battle plan. There is a proper way of dealing. Who would have ever guessed that it's the Battle of the Atlantic? That is not in my head. When I'm studying World War II, I'm not going to say, there it is, there's the battle. I don't see it instinctively. Nor am I going to, like when I hear that uh, Upper Northern Norway became a very strategic part in World War II. It's like, what? Northern Norway? What what does that have to do with it? Like these key spots that God is going to, in a sense, in our soul, say, right there, Northern Norway. And we're like, Northern Norway? Ha! And as a result, your world begins to break down because you failed to care for northern Norway. I mean, that, that's the way this is. It's a truth that is not obvious to Martha. She doesn't see it clearly. She is convinced that what she is doing is the good part. She's being hospitable. She's doing what she should do. What is right to Martha is not actually the most right thing. Because to attack Japan, are they evil in this situation? Yes, what they're doing is wrong. They should be dealt with. So is it wrong to attack Japan? No, it's just not as right as attacking Hitler. So to attack Hitler on land, is that wrong? No, it's just not as right as attacking Hitler in the Atlantic. And so for us to find that priority becomes very, very important. The important instead of the urgent The priority point over the pressure point. The Mary action instead of the Martha action. The spiritual battle over the physical one. There is a priority that God is going to place in all of these things. He's going to say, no, important. No, priority. No, Mary. No, spiritual. So what we need to do is calibrate our soul and our battle plan based around that. If God is going to say prayer is more important than this, then you put more time on prayer. Even though everything in your natural realm is going to bark back at you at first, you actually do it as part of your battle plan and you're going to see breakthrough. Where no longer do you need to go around the cape. You're going to see your time, energy, and tonnage return in full strength. So the order of operations in math. Now, I've, I've taught on this multiple times in the past. I've actually never put it up on the screen, though. I've always just brought it up. Uh, PEMDAS. Uh, Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, I think is the official uh, sentence that goes with that. Uh, Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Okay, now this is the order of operations in, in an algebraic equation Now, if you haven't taken algebra, this is very confusing, right? But there's a proper way of approaching that problem. 
You have a problem sitting in front of you and it has a whole bunch of digits, parentheses, exponents, all sorts of intimidating things, right? But to address it, just like in World War II, there's a lot of intimidating things sitting in front of the Allies. How do we solve this problem? Well, you need a priority list. And if you solve a math problem in an incorrect order, if you do not do it in this order of operations, which starts with parentheses, the P, exponents, then multiplication, then division, then addition, then subtraction, if you do one of those out of order, do you know that you get the problem wrong? I know, it sounds a little uh, picky. Don't you think that a math problem needs to be done just perfectly, otherwise it's, it's incorrect? But that's part of, that's computer programming too. There's an order of operations in computer programming and your program will not work. It will not function if you do not follow what we could call the rules. And so God has set for us an order of operations so that we can actually solve our problems. Isn't that an incredible thought? I, it gets me excited actually. And so he's going to say, here's where we begin and let's move forward. I've had so many conf uh, conversations with people that are in very complex entanglements in their life because sin is an entanglement. And so when you enter into this one sin and then it compounds into this sin, now you're on your third marriage and you have kids from each one and now you feel convicted by the fact that you have not been following God and maybe that first marriage you shouldn't have divorced her. What do you do? I mean, you're, you're dealing with such a layering of complexity. And so, okay, let's go back to the order of operations. Let's start with first things first. What matters most in all of this? Your soul being made right with God, you need to just repent. Let's just start there. Don't try and solve these other things. Don't get down to the subtraction down here. Deal with first things. You need to be made right with God. And don't consider all of the things that are gonna to need to come out of this and all the things that are gonna be made right. You just make things right. First of all, between you and God. All right, have we done that? Have you repented, made things right? You've humbled yourself. You're willing to acknowledge God is right. Your behavior is wrong. All right, now we can start. Next layer. Okay, so as you begin to untangle these things in our lives, it's like World War II, it really is. God wants to begin to work his salvation into a practical level in our life. No more stalemate, guys. It's no more just like, I'm glad I'm a Christian, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but even though the devil seems to get away with all sorts of nonsense in my life, I'm just going to grip my teeth and grin and bear it uh, throughout the rest of this time instead of, let's take territory. We're not just going to accept the fact that Hitler owns and operates Europe right now. Okay, right? He needs to be purged out of this territory. France needs to have its country back. Uh, the Balkans need to be returned. Czechoslovakia needs to become Czechoslovakia. Poland needs to become Poland again. Norway needs to be get, given back to the Norwegians. Come on. Let's get Hitler out. That's the same with your soul. There's certain territory where the devil just sort of lingers and he frustrates and he hinders and he wastes time and resources that you have because you're fighting these skirmishes constantly. We need to know the battle of the Atlantic and hit it hard. David is gonna say this in Psalm 27, verse four. One thing I have desired of the Lord. Isn't that a good statement? Just in light of what we're talking about, it's like one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I desire of the Lord, I want to be like Mary. I want to be like David. I want to make sure that I have a priority of focus on Jesus. And when I do, it's amazing, but it begins to solve other riddles. Because we can, get this, this is a strange phenomenon, we can have the right motive, the right end goal. I want to destroy Hitler. We can have the right end goal and approach it wrong. Like, Jesus, I'm doing this for you. Instead of, Jesus, you're all that matters. I want to know you. And so we wake up in the morning, and instead of just trying to solve the Hitler debacle, we focus on Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus and make him the center of our existence, you know what? It begins to solve the Hitler issues. So for each and every one of us, it's like a reset button sometimes is needed to say Christ first, Christ preeminent in all, of thing, in all things. My time focused on Christ. My energy focused on Christ. My resources, my tonnage. I don't know. Some people in here might not like the word tonnage when describing ourselves. Our, our resource applied to Christ. Let's start there. Let's refresh the system and let's remember why we are here on this earth. Churchill says, the battle of the Atlantic was the dominating factor all through the war. Never for one moment could we forget that everything happening elsewhere, on land, at sea, or in the air, depended ultimately on its outcome. That's a big statement. This is in the order of operations parentheses, this is right at the top. This is where we begin. And this is a huge process. It took till mid-1943 to land this, to really understand what their battle was. They are working through so much fog, which is what we feel like too. And then finally you break free and you're like, I see it. I know what to fight. I know what to hit. So on the left, you are going to see the amount of gross tons lost. So this is actually a map that uh, Churchill is going to draw up and put in his memoirs, okay? So he calls it the crisis of the battle, which is from August 1st, 1942 through May 21st, 1943. And you're going to see the Battle of the Atlantic. You're going to see all the activity of U-boats and shipping that is taking place. And uh, it's all the losses that he's going to put. So British and others... It's 3,762 no, gross tons. So it was in the millions. That is a lot of material loss that they are going to face. And they're recognizing they cannot approach the shorelines of France, which is going to be Normandy, D-Day, until they win this battle. They must control the air and the sea to be able to bring their amphibious craft up to the beaches and unload them. And so you're going to see the Great Air Sea Offensive, May 22nd through September 18th of 1943, you're gonna see the difference of loss right there. And you're gonna see the total is 207,227 tons loss, which is still a lot, but compared to 3.7 million, you're going to see a complete shift. And this is going to then free the Allies to begin to function and ultimately win the war in the upcoming months. So here's the question we finish with. What is your battle of the Atlantic? 
For me, I would say it's an issue of time. It's a battle of time and focus. The devil wants to distract me. I know it. I see it. And I have so many things that keep me busy. And yet there's certain things that I think are so primary and so critical. And it's like, okay, God, I need your wisdom to know how to address these things, this loss of time and energy and tonnage, and focus on this battle of the Atlantic so that I can effectively begin to see this war shift. Which I would say, if we were going to talk as a staff, I'd say, yeah, that's what we've seen happening over this past year. We've seen a shift of battle. It's sort of like our hinge point of World War II here at Ellers. I mean, the devil's uh, had us, you know, on our own island. He's bombing us like the Battle of Britain. The Luftwaffe is coming over and dropping bombs, and we're, you know, in our buildings aflame. We're going, okay, God, we're just holding on for dear life here. We're going from survival to victory to strength. This is a hard time in the church of Jesus Christ because it's a hard time in this world. And as a result, this is our hour when we rise up and stand firm. But we need to deal with our battle of the Atlantic to be able to effectively drive out the enemy in this land and in this world. Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom for this battle, that you would give us wisdom for the order of operations in our life, that you would showcase to us what is the merry behavior right now. What is the important thing to do? What is the primary point? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would bring us to first things, that we would be able to address what your Holy Spirit is desiring to bring us to, and not just the things that look important on the outside, but the things that are important according to your word. Lord, we trust you and submit to you in this matter. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.